0: Good morning, sir. So how y'all doing? Good, 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 good. Uh, what are some uh, discoveries that we made about um, the technology that we've been through here in this room? Uh, anybody have an old school flip phone, brick phone, bag cell phone? Nobody. Yeah, you had the like the the bag with the yeah okay. And then when the cell phone plans was like astronomically like crazy or you had to wait until uh, the weekends or 7 p.m. to (laughs) different things of that nature. Technology has come a long way. I'm gonna actually start and share a poem called Vices. It's about relationships. It's a love letter of sorts. All right, at least we're not like those other couples. At least I listen, I speak back, I'm dialed in, I'm committed, and I'm so happy that you've got a plan with me. Those other couples, they argue, they cheat, and they fall for cheap impressions, but I'm here now and generations to come, so please stay close enough for me to hear the vibration of your voice, and for me to respond to your every touch. Let me feel the warmth of your skin sliding across my face. Please, please, I beg you, protect me. And please be gentle. Even if you drop me, I will do everything in my power not to fail you. Let nothing come between us. Let's not be like those other couples. Remember, we have a plan together. Remember, our love can last as long as there are clouds in the sky, I can't wait until you pick me up again. I love you, Siri p s <laughs> who's Alexa? Yeah, that's one of those points you got y'all thought that was about us. were are like, Chrisll, what are you talking about? Do you that's get not some fair of case. that? That's not fair. Our love because lasts as long as there's clouds in the sky and What's up, what's up? <laughs> It's not about a person. <laughs> Yeah, they thought that up. Sorry, that's not for you, Trish. Uh. But our relationship that we have uh, with phones is an interesting thing because the technology continues to advance. There's different uh, phases of technology, not just with phones, but with everything. And it's interesting how uh, it will kind of relate to uh, some of the things that we'll talk about Uh, Because in fact like with technology there's things that just get old, you know, some of the awe of a bag phone That you try to describe to our kids and they're like you really had to carry this heavy thing with a bag and they don't Understand how the battery or the computer had to be bigger uh, Than a microchip and they're like it was heavy the battery was heavy. That's crazy And you had to carry it and you had to you don't use it this time And why were phone bills so high if you you had to pay by the minute and all these different things. So there's things that we were in awe of once, and then you don't know anything about that anymore. You're just like, oh, whatever. And you're were, we're kind of programmed, we're ready for the next thing. We're ready for the next thing. Keep that in mind as we are cruising through um, the book of Mark, right? Mark, the first gospel. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter six. And uh, actually, it's interesting because. Uh, I think about one of the first smartphones, I thought it was a smartphone, but I graduated from college and we got our first uh, cell phone and mine was just a regular little flip phone, old school flip phone. That was pretty cool for me, it was my first cell phone. But uh, I was really proud a couple years later. You know, I had a full time job and stuff and I'm like, let me get this Razor Motorola Razor flip phone. MP3 player, and uh... this is going to be hard for some of the young folks to imagine, but uh... Trish and I, we we it came with some kind of a plan where you could actually watch like a TV channel, a TV channel, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the basic ones, so you could watch like the stuff Grey's Anatomy because there's there's 50 seasons of that or whatever. I think it was in its infancy, but we would. We, I would get off work, and we had this small little phone. I'd flip it open, and we'd be like, set it up right there. And we'd watch a show. And we were like, this is great. <laughs> we're watching a show on our flip phone. This is crazy. right? It would get kind of staticky sometimes, or it would glitch a little bit. But that, we were in all of that. We're like, we're watching TV on our phone. But uh, as you know, it, stuff got better. Stuff came out. And you you kind of get rid of that, and you kind of lose some of that awe and astonishment. Well, uh, Jesus, in this passage that we're going uh, to go through today, we're going to comb through this just uh, six verses in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. And we're going to see Jesus goes to his hometown, and there in awe. This message is funny to me because... They kind of go from being in awe to what I call, naw. <laughs> so we're, that's kind of the title of the message. I usually don't have a title of the message, but it's called From Awe to Nah, <laughs> I don't know. And we see this happen, as flip-flop. They're, they're in awe of miracles, they're in awe of some of his teaching. Then they're like, nah, nah. Right, so for us, or with our cell phones, you wouldn't, I wouldn't trade this for the flip phone. Nah. <laughs> like, you're not going back where there's some some reason and we have to kind of think about that and wrestle with that and think about what that has to do with us today and our church of why did they go from all to no all right so let us uh let me pray for us and then we'll dig in all right god thank you so much uh for your word and i pray god that as we look through Mark chapter six, as we look at uh, Jesus returning back to his hometown, and uh, you know people feel with awe, <laughs> and then they're not uh, in some certain areas. Lord, I pray that we can we can wrestle with some questions. I pray, God, that uh, as we reflect on some of these truths, Lord, that it will, um, man, that we'll kind of identify our place and how we view Jesus, and that we can leave here in a better understanding of who You are, Jesus, and uh, how much You love us, and how. Uh, you are worthy to be praised, and you are worthy for us to continue to be in awe of you, uh, despite um, all the things that we know and uh, all the things that we think we know. Uh, but you are, in fact, um, a God that is worthy of our praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, I kind of did that backwards, but we let us uh, stand, and I was like... <laughs> We're praying. Yeah, so I'm going to go in prayer. But let us, we have a tradition where we stand in the reading of Scripture if you're able in heart and mind and spirit. And we're going in reverse. But Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Oh. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, uh, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and, his, and in his house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. All right, see seated. So again, we're, uh, this morning we're going to continue in the series. We've been walking through the book of Mark. Again, there's no cell phones in this passage, but uh, the reality that Jesus' presence in his hometown generated a response that people you know, went from being fascinated to n- unbelief. Um, in this chapter, Mark will write about two significant uh, reactions, but one that we'll talk about this morning. One is the people of Jesus' hometown. Um, the other later on in the passage uh, is about King Herod and things, we won't, you'll be able to go ahead and look at that uh, later, but we're just gonna dig into these first six verses. But between these interactions, there's an important question that we'll wrestle with. And it's my prayer, again, that we'll walk away uh, with something applicable to our life. But the question is, why do you think people reacted so differently to Jesus? And how did they go from being in awe to no? Uh, so uh, let's, let me unpack a little bit of context of what's going on in here. So Jesus, this is Jesus' second uh, recorded uh, time and his last time visiting his hometown of Nazareth. And as far as far as we know, the last time, if we went into the book of Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30, uh, we will see that the first time that he went back home, it didn't go well either. Uh, people were initially, they were impressed by his preaching. We will see that in Luke chapter 4, 22. But ironically, the town he grew up in and turned on him. They became angry. They attempted to ride out on him. That's what we say. They was trying to get him out of there. Um, in chapter Luke chapter 4, verse 28 through 30, we see them trying to get reckless with Jesus. But regardless of the incident, um, Jesus returns. But this time, he returned with his crew. He returned with the 12 disciples, guardians of the galaxy at that time. But just made a Marvel reference. Was Jesus trying to show the disciples his hometown and give them some job training? Like, this is going to be tough, guys. <laughs> I've been here tough crowd. Uh, Maybe Jesus was a little bit more hopeful that things would be different this time, but unfortunately, there's a spoiler alert, he will be disappointed again. And as a matter of fact, the events in this passage were enough, and I wrestled with this too, this was enough where we'll see at the end in chapter uh, 6 verse 6, it was enough to cause Jesus to marvel at such unbelief. For even Jesus to be like, man, that's kind of wild. <laughs> so even Jesus was taken aback by it. Uh, so it's, un- it's it's important for us to understand that Mark writes the story of Jesus. Mark is a good book because it has a lot of action. It's kind of action packed. It's a lot of action in there. So along with telling us about um, Jesus' teaching and his miracles. We get to see this story progress, and we get to see, um, kind of get a front row seat of people's reactions to Jesus as he's doing these things. Uh, so first that we're going to see that there's a large number of people that were drawn to Jesus as a fact. We see that all the way through Mark chapter 1, all the way to where we're at today. The second thing is that we see that there's people's responses and reactions were very different. So I'm going to just blast through uh, some, some snippets of... Uh, in, in, in this book, Jesus' greatest hits so far. All right. Some greatest hits so far in chapter 2, verse 2. So many are gathered that there, were no, there was no room left, even outside the door. Chapter 2, verse 13. A large crowd came to him. Chapter 3, verse 7. A large crowd from Galilee followed him. 332. A crowd was sitting around him. Chapter 4, verse 1. The crowd that gathered around him was so large. Chapter 4, verse 36 leaving the crowd behind him. Chapter five, verse 14, the people went out to see what had happened. Chapter five, verse 21, a large crowd gathered around him. Chapter five, verse 24, a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. So just want to get, there's a lot of stuff going on, big crowds. Also, there's some responses. Chapter two, verse five, uh, when Jesus saw their faith. It's interesting, Jesus saw their faith. In chapter two, verse seven, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He was catching heat from Mark, chapter two, Mark, chapter two, verse 12. This amazed everyone and they praised God. And then Mark, chapter two, 15. There were many who followed him. Mark, chapter three, verse six. The Pharisees went out to begin to plot how they might kill Jesus. (laughs) Chapter three, verse 10. Those uh, with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Uh, Chapter three, verse 20. He's out of his mind. Chapter 3, verse 22, he's possessed by Beelzebub. Who is this? That's his own followers. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 17, then the people began to plead Jesus to leave their region. But then, in the next verse, uh, the demoniac that got healed said, Take me with you, bro. (laughs) Chapter 5, verse 20, all the people were amazed. And uh, Greg, uh, Pastor Greg, was talking about uh, the healing of the, the daughter that was dying in chapter 5, verse 23. My little daughter is dying. Please come. Uh, chapter 5, verse 28. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Chapter 540. They laughed at him. Chapter 542. They were completely astonished. And then here we are. So there's a lot of reactions going on. There's some healing going on. Some miracles going on. Some hating going on. And Jesus continues to stay who Jesus is. And here's his, his first, a lot of stuff going on in these, in these six verses. The first verse, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were, they're amazed right now. Something astonishing Astounding, staggering, stupefying. What does awe mean? Right? If you've ever been in that state where we're watching a movie on this flip phone, <laughs> crazy. We're in awe. We won't be all in awe of that anymore. All right? We've moved on past that. Uh, in real life, a dog shaking his paw probably won't leave you in awe. That kind of rhyme, too. A dog being able to call nine one one for his owner—you might be like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Michael Jordan for the first time jumping from the free throw line leave you in awe. LeBron breaking the scoring title—probably not. I'm 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 just hating. Look at that. I had to I had to put that in there. All Star Weekend, (laughs) twenty year on his twentieth year—maybe not astonishing. But the truth is, anytime that you find yourself kind of gasping and saying, I can't believe what I'm seeing or hearing, you're probably seeing or hearing something astonishing and leaving you in this state of awe. As we've seen before in this book, we know for a fact that the scriptures tell us that people were amazed. Um... What what was it about Jesus teaching that astounded many people in Nazareth? Because it shows us in verse two, it says they were astonished. They were in awe of his wisdom and the miracles. So there's no doubt, in fact, in Scripture, that Jesus was a captivating person. Right. There's no doubt about if people agreed or not. He was a captivated person. People was following him. There was large crowds. But in his wisdom, when we think about the way that he taught, people knew that he made sense of life, he explained profound things in simple ways. But why were they in awe of this? Uh, And I try to kind of grasp of what would this look like? Let's say that I bought a pair of new Jordans and I wasn't pleased with them, so I called the hotline. And I actually got a human that called me back and said, hey, I work for Team Jordan, let me hear your complaint. That would be kind of delightful. But what if Michael Jordan called me and was like, hey, you got a problem with my shoes? I'd be like, is this for real, Jordan, bro? Let's FaceTime real quick. You know what I mean? But you would be in awe. So picture Jesus is not only teaching you, but, you know, when we're up here preaching and we're quoting stuff, we're quoting scholars. He ain't quoting nobody. He's like, I'm him. It's the source. Like, I'm coming to you and I'm teaching you. I'm not quoting no uh, peer-reviewed articles. I don't have a PhD or a master's. I'm him. So what I'm telling you, this is me. Like, I'm talking about, like, the one that's coming I'm, up. Like, I'm here. <laughs> so it's different. So people are astonished at this wisdom because they're like, man, this makes sense, man. But it's him. Like, he's saying, like, I'm, I'm the guy. There's no sources. I'm a source. <laughs> so it caused this thing in people where it's just like, man, I think that's your right, but man, who are you? <laughs> You're just a regular person. Especially when he goes to his hometown. Secondly, people obviously respected the miracles. You know, everybody kind of likes David Blaine a little bit. You kind of got to respect the tricks. You're like, that's cool stuff. I don't know. That's cool. We hear about it. We've seen Jesus' snap. He's doing some great things. But the wisdom and the miracles were not enough for people. In his hometown, in verse 3, they start asking questions. They begin to use kind of their own logic by asking where did this man get these things? Like, essentially, they're asking, like, okay, for real. So where you learn all these tricks, bro? They rejected him. I mean, we see this group of people in the in matter of three verses go from all to naught. They're face to face with the infinite God, the infinite God man, Jesus. And they looked with their finite wisdom and logic and deduced him down to just a regular guy. That's kind of cool, says great things, but we ain't putting our faith in you, though. No. They deduced him down to just an ordinary towns guy. In verse 3, they're breaking down his portfolio. We know your mom, your brothers, your sisters. uh, You fixed our table, put our roof on. Your dad, you know, he was a good dude. You guys do some good work, good woodwork. Good carpenters here. <laughs> like, we grew up with dude, but you are you can't be him though. Like you, you really can't. They thought they knew him better than anyone else, because he lived there. You can picture them saying, We we might not be able to explain this wisdom and these miracles, but we know who you are and you are you're not really that important. Nazareth was known to be kind of a nowhere town made up of nobodies. And it's estimated that the population was between 150 to 200 people. Not 1,000. 150 to 200. Uh, so insignificant was this town that it's not mentioned in the Old Testament and it only receives a little attention in the New Testament. Uh, Nathaniel we flip to the book of John and uh, verse uh, John 46 There's kind of an interesting story. Uh, Nathaniel's being introduced to Jesus by Peter. And in hearing about where Jesus is from, Nathaniel said, can anything good come from, from Nazareth? <laughs> They're like, hey, bro, you're going to meet Jesus. Jesus, where, oh, yo, where are he from? Now, pff, what? And, and Jesus meets him was like, bro, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even get it. And Nathan's just like, could anything good come from there? So in the same fashion, in Jesus' presence, Jesus is being ridiculed by his people. His hometown doesn't deny, but it's not enough for them to put his faith. They can't seem to reconcile what Jesus has done with who they think Jesus must be. And we have to remember, there's a list of miracles that he's done so far in the name of Jesus and and God. Um, But Jesus, he speaks on this. He speaks directly to it. He kind of says, you think that you know me because I grew up here. You think you know me because I've done some work maybe for you in your own house. You think you know me because I've been around and your cousins know me. And, you know, you know you might even call me cousin. But he says a prophet ain't even welcomed in his own town. Not even welcomed here. And what happened in Nazareth after this is very interesting. And I don't have all the answers. But the better question is what didn't happen. And we read in verse number five. It's very interesting. It says he, referring to Jesus, could not do any miracles there. He could not do any miracles. I've been looking at this scripture all week. He could not do, Jesus could not do any miracles here? He couldn't? Is that a typo? He wouldn't? He couldn't? What should it say? It says he couldn't do any miracles there. But there were a few people that he healed. And then it says, he was amazed at the lack of their faith. And I kind of want to throw my anchor down here. The miracles didn't do it. His wisdom didn't do it. And Jesus is reflecting on their lack of faith, their trust in Jesus. Because it's faith. If you get anything from us today, it's your faith invites Jesus into a situation into your life, in order to do the miraculous." And we can see in the scripture that, in this case, unbelief restricted him, and I kind of wrestle with it a little bit. And sometimes, you know, if you're a parent or whatever, sometimes you can think of some of the things that you might want to do with your kid, and then they do something crazy and mess it all up, and you're like, I can't, we're not going to McDonald's now. (laughs) You see what you just did? Like, the environment's not really conducive for me to bless you with a Happy Meal right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In this passage, right, and I can't, I, this, this is mind boggling in some ways. And there could be some people that argue and be like, just take the kids through the drive through. But there's some times we're like, nah, we're not doing that today. And I feel like we've come to this moment where Jesus is like, this environment's not even right for this. Like, they're wiling out. It's not happening. There's a few of y'all that really get it. Is that right or wrong? In this situation with Jesus, we see that some people not only missed out on who Jesus is, but missed out on this true interaction with Jesus because of their unbelief. And I reflect on that with us and what does that mean for us? Right? Because we can look and we can argue, but how is it possible for a human being can hold back the powers of God? But when I think about the deal here, think about how apart from the eyes. Of faith, we can't really see who Jesus truly is. And miracles can only take us so far, but in and of themselves it's not enough. His teachings point to him, His miracles point to him. there're these divine signs and billboards that we could just miss. Has anybody uh, heard about what's going on in Asbury? Asbury? revival. It's been interesting, right? And uh, because uh, when you talk about things like this, and there's a lot of skepticism, there's a lot of stuff going on. I know I kind of scrolled right past it when I first heard about it. And uh, this week, as I was wrestling with this passage, and I'm looking into it, not really deeply, but... I have a friend of mine that that uh, uh, Greg and I went to Judson University, and I'm good friends with the the guy that's in charge of the chapel services. He's worked there for quite a number of years. He does Christian. Uh, he's a teacher in the Christian Ministry Department as well. But uh, he he's a really good dude. Um, he went and he just was like, I just wanted to go, like. Um, He's in charge of his own chapel services on the campus, and this sparked off at a chapel service on another campus. He just wanted to go and just be a fly on the wall and just for his own little deal. And I want to just read some of his thoughts, because when I read his thoughts, it just reminded me, it just reminded me of this passage, it reminded me of, of how we can interact with this as we go. But These are his words. It's been a couple days since I returned from a spontaneous trip to Asbury to see for myself what was happening among the student body. My summary, this is everything that we've been praying for. I'm on a national email thread with campus chaplains and deans talking about how chapel, especially after COVID has changed. Each Dean recounts the same thing, phones out, headphones in, laptops and talking loudly during services. Uh, Students, all over the states, disaffected, disconnected, disinterested in cultivating their spiritual lives. And I see this at my university too. This move cuts through delusionment, distraction, cynicism. It's the real deal, powerful, prayerful, orderly, passionate, patient, full of testimony, worship and prayer. I'm typically skeptical of revival talk and what may be emotionalism, This is not that. This isn't driven by personality nor preaching. It's all organic and rather ordinary. It's unimpressive from the outside, no fancy lights or fog, no drum kit, no lyrics on a screen. It's the ordinary work of worship, prayer, confession, intercession. Students are confessing sin and encountering the love of God. The culture of this space centered on three things, radical humility, purity of heart, and hunger. Uh, Radical humility counters the insta-famous impulse, like look how spiritual I am. Purity of heart counters change for thee but not for me, and hunger counters cynicism. My prayer for Gen Z is that this is woven into the fabric of their faith. May it be in my school as well. And uh, it really hit me that there's sometimes, you know, as we're in this day and age where Uh, We can grab all this information and do our own research and look into everything, and then we can form a conclusion of exactly what we think, and we can kind of prescribe, this is how God's working in this situation. And I'll show you all my evidence (laughs) of this. And sometimes, sometimes I feel like when I look at this story, we can kind of dismiss the people of Nazareth, but that's kind of the story of us as well. If we're honest, because we can just be like, mm, "That's not happening. I don't care." Blah 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 blah. blah. I don't believe in revivals because blah, blah blah blah, and then something happened to me before, and I got this church hurt, and I'm, I'm deconstructing right now or whatever. Now I'm not making light of these things. However, there's times that we, Jesus could be doing real things, in and around us, and we can just be like, "Whatever." I know that's not real or blah, 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 or I had a friend that told me this, or blah, 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 and this has been real convicting as I've done this message this week because it's really easy to point a finger at the people in Nazareth, but it's very difficult when I point the finger back at myself and think about how many times that I may have dismissed God's spirit or dismissed God's presence in my life or dismissed something because of Chris Britton's knowledge and my experience as youth ministry And so I can tell if somebody's really living it right or not because all the examples I've had with all the students that I've worked with, and I can just be like, "Uh, I know they said that they're living for Christ, but they're fake because I saw what they posted on Instagram. Not real, (laughs) right? And I could do these things. The problem is sometimes I believe Having a childlike faith as an adult, sometimes people think that that's a weakness or people will say like, ah, that's weak. You can't just have faith in it. You got to prove this stuff. You got to see evidence in all this stuff. You can't just believe in Jesus. You have to prove everything. And I don't have all the answers. Today I'm not giving you a whole bunch of answers. But I want to challenge us not not to have a revival, but I start thinking, God, can you help revive all in me? Revive all. What does that mean for you individually? Because I believe if we're believers in here, there once was a point where there was this divine all in your life that drew you to Christ. And maybe that's just wore off like a flip phone now. And that's the thing of the past or the older you flipped it closed because of something that you've experienced, or something that you don't believe God did, or some hurts, or some pains, or some church stuff, or relationship stuff, or bad things, or whatever the case. Or maybe, just maybe, like Nazareth, there's people that's just lived there the whole time. and They're just like, mm. you know, I've talked to some people that said, I've been a Christian all my life, and, and they act like they're bored. They're just like, mm. I heard somebody said I really don't have a testimony. I've just been a Christian all my life. I'm like, so, what, what, what? And they're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a testimony. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> through God's spirit, he spares you from a lot of stuff that you ain't have to see. That's your testimony. You don't have to be wilding out. I know a teenager that told me one time, like, Chris, I really don't, I think I'm going to give my life to Christ after I really go through some stuff. I got to go out there and experience some stuff. So you might not see me at the youth center for a little while till I get this testimony. I'm like, dang, are they on sale or something right now? Where are you going? It's a door buster. (laughs) And unfortunately I remember I didn't see this kid for like six months and they came back uh, one Saturday evening and they had tears in their face and stuff. And they was like, I should have never left. I don't know what I was thinking. Horrible story. This young lady was telling me about what she experienced in them six months. There's a little part of me that wanted to be like, was it worth it? You see, like, and at that moment, I saw them kind of in awe of God's love, saying, I know God still loves me, blah, blah, blah. But are we sometimes too wrapped up in ourselves and our own minds and our own thoughts and our own research that we miss out on the awe that once drew us to our faith? Or we could be on the other side where we haven't even taken that step towards Christ because we're already just like, nah, I I ain't ready to put my trust in, in Christ like that, my faith in Christ like that. As I reflected this week, I cannot personally explain some of the things that have occurred in my spiritual life. And I know that there's some people that have tried to explain it away. Chris, you were just emotional. Chris, you were tired. I know you were just going through some things, but I know what I experienced with God's supernatural spirit guiding some key moments in my life, strengthening me, giving me a peace that I didn't have, helping me to be bold when I needed, and other times silent, and other times needed to take action that I probably wouldn't have. There have been some spiritual moments that have changed the trajectory of my life as a result of my faith in Jesus, of an action taken towards, okay, I, feel, I really feel like I need to do this right now or not do this because of Christ. I've shared some stories with people before and they're just like, oh yeah, I can see, you, but don't you think that you were just... And at this point in my life, I'm kind of tired of trying to over-explain it. And some people might say like, well, you're just... You believe in this imaginary character that you think that guided you through this stuff. I believe Jesus' spirit interacted with me in a real way. And I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. My question, can we be a church full of people that ask God to revive all in us? Can we be a church of people that place faith in a Jesus that really loves us? Is it possible that there are corners in our life where God's not active because of our unbelief. I don't have an answer to that. I can't answer those things. But in life we know there's relationships that get old. Sometimes things that are close to us gets old not just technology and phones and all that kind of stuff, but y'all know what I'm saying. And I'm just hoping that we can get to a point again where we can ask God, what does that mean to revive all in us? So we can't miss when Jesus is trying to impress upon us, his love, because at the end of the day, I mean, Jesus didn't come to Nazareth to get dissed. I mean, he came, he wanted to be a blessing to them, and, and they were kind of breaking him down. And he was amazed. He was amazed. God loves us, and Jesus loves us. And, and I don't think that, I think this shows us that even though Jesus was amazed at the doubt, he, get, he understands. He understands the inner battle that we may have to put our faith and trust and our life in the hands of Christ. So this isn't one of those messages where I'm trying to beat, beat everybody up. But it's one of those things where Jesus really loves us. And Jesus, again, we see that he came back there. He didn't have a good experience the first time. He came back. He still loved them. He still came home. And he still wants to come home to us as well. He still loves us. I think sometimes when I look at uh, our our faith journey um, and when I look at the progression of of cell phones, you know, every year there's not huge, huge updates, but every once in a while there's this big new thing, right? There's a big new thing that kind of marks that generation. And sometimes I feel like that's where our faith, we might, we might have a couple years where we're really struggling, but we might have some, some highlights where we really trusted God as well. And in our life, may we get to that trajectory where we can look back on the different phases of maybe our, our, our belief and unbelief, not just to look back and to be sad about it or to have all these regrets, but to look how God loved us all the way through each one of those phases. And God carried us through each one of those new phases. And we can trust that God's going to continue to update us in ways that we can't even imagine as we put our faith and trust in him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your word. I pray, I pray, for whatever is going on in Asbury, I'm not a spiritual detective But I ask how you'll continue to move on the hearts of those there and around the country. But I also understand, Lord, that there's walls and barriers that as individuals that we put up sometimes. And I pray, God, that you revive all in us. Break the barriers down so we can truly see who you are, how much you love us, and how much you are worthy of praise. May some of us return to you in new awe. May some of us uh, take those first steps towards you in faith as well. But whatever the case, Lord, I pray, God, that uh, we will understand that you are uh, so much closer than we think sometimes, as we may think that you're sitting up in a cloud somewhere shaking your head down at us or shaking your fist at us, God, I know your spirit's here. I pray, God, that we can be in all of that and that we might not have to understand everything. I pray that we can uh, put our trust and faith and hope in you and that your spirit will meet us where we're at and that your love will minister to us in a way that um, is tangible uh, for our journeys. In your name we pray. Amen.